Today we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, the son of Jesse, the utterance of a man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's song. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rocks of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is the light of the morning at sunrise. On a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me every desire. But evil men are to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool or shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. You've got a special sunrise moment you like to remember. Uh, I've switched computers recently, so all of those ones are just from the last few months. Uh, but it's such a special time of the, uh, the day. One of my uh, highlights over the last decade, has been celebrating Easter Sunday down at the beach. Uh, just a fantastic time uh, together. Uh, over the last couple of years, except this year, of course, uh, we've had uh, 100, perhaps a few more people, uh, some baptisms in the surf, very special time. There's something about the light and warmth of the sun that just inspires and invigorates us. And I'm sure King David... Uh, with all of his experiences, had plenty of special sunrises throughout his life. And what we're looking at today is, is David's very last psalm. That's what he's meant by the phrase in verse 1. These are the last words of David. They're the last poetic words. And right in the middle of this brief psalm, he uses the bright light of the morning sun as a metaphor for what brings light and hope and nourishment to God's people. And it raises a good question for us. What is it that lights your life? What is it that warms your heart, lights your soul and, and nourishes your mind? Well, the idea of light shining into uh, our hearts is not unique to the Bible. In fact, there are many religious and philosophical and scientific claims supposedly bringing enlightenment to us enabling us to see and experience a, a better way of life, uh, supposedly replacing the darkness of ignorance or false beliefs. Consider Australia today. With all our modern progress in science and medicine and the relative peace and prosperity we enjoy, would you say that we as a society are enlightened? 
Many feel we are. Many feel that we're certainly superior to previous generations. I mean, if you go far back enough, you of course come to the dark ages. Surely we're better than that. As a society, we, we think of enlightenment as our ability to understand and control our future and make sense of our present without depending on anyone else, especially not any kind of superstitious beliefs in, in, in God. Instead of blind faith in the Bible and a, a God we cannot see, as a society, we have the light of our own collective wisdom about the world and how we should live in it. We've considered equality with God something to be grasped with both hands. We've replaced God with ourselves. I think COVID has been a minor correction to our sense of self-determination this year. A helpful reminder that we're actually not in control of everything. But what the prevailing worldview means by enlightened is exactly the opposite of what David was talking about. For David, the radiant light of life came from God. And here he speaks of it coming through a righteous ruler who fears the Lord. Uh, This psalm, there's sort of four parts to it. Verses 1 to 3 talk of how God speaks. Uh, The back half of verse 3 and verse 4, how God rules. Verse 5, how God saves. Verses 6 and 7, how God judges. And what we're going to see today is that, firstly, this psalm is partially fulfilled in David himself. But secondly, we'll see how it points us forward to Jesus and shines the light of hope deep into our hearts as well. So let's pray and then jump straight into this uh, little psalm, the last poetic words of David. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the light of your word that shines deep into our darkened hearts and minds. Please help us not to merely appreciate your truth, but to live by it for your glory and for our good. We've still got a few weeks left in this series, but today's our last day looking at David's life. Next week, we move on to his legacy some 300 years down the track. As we look at this psalm, I want to also acknowledge our difficulty in hearing some parts of it on David's lips. We've spent the last three weeks exploring his greatest moral failure. And it was a terribly dark moment indeed. But the danger for us is to let his adultery with Bathsheba eclipse all the wonderful, godly achievements and successes of his 40-year reign. His last words are recorded here. They're about three decades after the Bathsheba incident. Now, for all his faults, he was still an outstanding leader who delighted in God and did what he could to point others to God as well. The descriptive words and phrases in the first verse give us a brief summary of David's life. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse. Remember, that's how we first met him. Uh, Samuel was sent to anoint one of Jesse's sons and they all gathered together and it seems like uh, he was complete, David was completely overlooked by everyone except God. Uh, God said of David, ah, here's a man after my own heart. And then in time he became the man exalted by the Most High. God gave him success in battle 
And David very quickly became famous. They were singing songs about him. And then the next bit says, a man anointed by the God of Jacob. God made David king of his people. And then I think the author picks up on one of the most outstanding features of David's life. Says there right at the end, the hero of Israel's songs. Now David's musical skill and inspired songwriting really is legendary. But the word hero there is a bit misleading. He was not the hero in the songs. God is. But David was the servant-hearted king that God used to write these songs. In fact, the Psalms as a whole became the songbook of Israel and indeed the church. The lyrics of the, these ancient songs, we love them because they just plumb the heights and depths of every conceivable human emotion. And they keep on pointing us to God. And when you consider the trials David endured to write them, it really does make us appreciate him and, and the songs even more. And note the phrase there in that first verse, uh, inspired utterance. Verse 2 picks up on this idea and, and reinforces it. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me. And then on he goes. So, so as we read this psalm, in fact, as we read any psalm in the Bible, we're reading God's word to our hearts. David penned what God imparted. It's a very early form of talk to text. Now, of course, that's true of the whole Bible, isn't it? The Apostle Peter says this, No prophecy of Scripture came about by the uh, prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful picture of the writing of the scriptures. From front to back, the Bible is the word of God. So let's listen to him by reading it often. Can I ask you this? Do, do members of your household ever kind of catch you just reading the Bible? You know, just kind of wander into the land room and, ah, oh, there's dad, you know. Bible open. In another psalm that David wrote, he, he said these words, The word of the Lord is more precious than gold. We spend a lot of our time chasing that sometimes, don't we? Than much pure gold. Sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Now maybe honey is your thing. Violet crumbles. Mm, that's my thing. Um, does that describe your attitude towards God's word? It's the treasure you love. And then let's look at what God actually says through David in this next bit from verse 3. When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The start asks that question, what is it that warms your heart, comforts your soul and, and floods your mind with deeply satisfying truth? David's answer is a righteous ruler who fears the Lord. Now David knew that God is the true ruler 
of his people, of everything. But the people had asked for a human king and God called David to be that king, to lead by example, to shepherd his people. And when David was crowned as king, the, the trouble that Saul had caused was replaced by a harvest of blessing for the nation of Israel. For most of the time, anyway. Now, <laughs> at face value, verse 5 is a bit hard to swallow on David's lips. I mean, especially in light of the last few weeks of our sermon series. If my house were not... I'm banging on a posh voice here. If my house were not right with God, <laughs> surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. Arranged and secured in every... I can't do voices... Uh, in every part, surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. It sounds like he's saying that God chose him because he was so good. That's salvation by works, isn't it? It sounds like he's saying God secured him as king so he could indulge every desire, even the sinful ones. Surely not. Now, the problem for us at this point is that we're, we're reading it out of the, the broader context. See, chapters 22 and 23 go together. Chapter 22 is God, David's words about God. And chapter 23 is, is God's word about David. Um, and so nearly all of chapter 22 is actually about how, how God has saved David and made him right in his sight. Listen to how it starts. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my saviour. And on and on and on it goes for like 30 verses or something. David knows he is right with God, but he also knows that it's only because of who God is and what God has done, not because of who he, David, is or anything he's done. See, David's right standing with God didn't come from his own goodness. It came through God's grace. And note the blessings that flow from being right with God. It's a deluxe package. Salvation fully arranged and secured and the delight of being right with God forever. Stands in stark contrast to the last two verses describing those who do evil. Evil men are uh, all to be cast aside like thorns which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They're burned up where they lie. The evil there in verse 6 means anyone who has positioned themselves against God, anyone who refuses to repent, hardens their heart and will not turn to God, that means that David is not evil. For sure he sinned horribly, but he kept on repenting and turning back to God and humbly accepting the undeserved forgiveness that God offered to him time and time again. 
And that's a great example for us. As Christians, I think we're often tempted, and especially if you're a parent, I speak as a parent, uh, we're often tempted to present a, a sinless facade to those around us, like our children. Other people don't need to know exactly how we sin in every ugly detail, but they need to see that we recognise our sin and that we take it to the cross of Jesus. When was the last time you spent confessing sin together as a family or with others? I mean, imagine the, the powerful role model of a dad. I'll pick on a dad's because I am one. Uh, the powerful role model of a dad who confesses that uh, he was wrong to speak so harshly or, or get angry at someone unfairly or, or, or gossip about someone at work or something like that. And, and then he prays at the dinner table for God's forgiveness. This is the kind of behavior that, that shows our kids what to do with sin. Don't hide it. Don't, don't try and cover it up. Don't pretend it's not there. Confess it. Turn from it and with the help of those around you who love you, seek to change so that you can honour God. But those who do evil, who refuse to turn to God, such people will be cast aside and burned. Strong words, aren't they? It's a picture of separation and permanent judgment. The iron tool and the spear emphasize that, that evil people will be kept at a safe distance, unable to harm or touch the righteous. Now, we see this in, in King David, because you know, his role as king, he had to protect God's people and enact judgment against evildoers. It's just what kings do. Now, David wasn't perfect. He knew that. We've certainly seen that. Nevertheless, God still used him to speak his word, to rule and to save and to judge his people. And we can see that this psalm is at least partially fulfilled in the life of David. But it does leave us looking forward, hoping for a better king. Christians are a people of hope. Because of God's promises. We're also people of faith because God works out his plan and fulfills his promises in his time frame. God has made many great promises and he will never settle for a reduced or cut down, shaved back fulfillment of what he has said. He will fill every promise of his completely, perfectly and eternally according to his plan. But when we see glimmers of fulfillment, like here in David's life, and, and glimmers of fulfillment in various Bible characters, they serve as both an encouragement that God is at work, but also a reminder that the fullness is yet to come. Now in King David, we, we definitely see glimmers of fulfillment of this psalm. But ultimately, this passage points us forward to Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 is all about God speaking. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews begins his letter. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. If you want to hear God speak today, listen to Jesus. We hear him speak in the Bible. And Jesus rules from heaven's throne. After the resurrection, God exalted him to his own right hand as ruler and saviour. Remember that theme of light shining in verse 4 of the psalm? Jesus picked up on that idea when he said these words. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, is that your experience? Is Jesus your ruler? Is he the perfect king who warms your heart, lights your soul and nourishes your mind with deeply satisfying truth? Because Jesus is perfectly righteous, it means he's perfectly able to save us from sin. Uh, And this is how it happened. He was clothed with our sin on the cross so that we could be clothed with his perfect righteousness. Just wanted to emphasize that moment. We organized some music for that. I'll say it again. Jesus was clothed with our sin on the cross so that we could be clothed with his perfect righteousness. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So friends, to accept Jesus is to accept God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. And that's why Jesus is also judge. John the Baptist said of Jesus, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Listen to this bit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, Gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Sounds a lot like verses 6 and 7, doesn't it, of this psalm. How we respond to Jesus is how we respond to God. And his judgment, whatever it is, will stand for eternity. And can I just say, if uh, we trust in Jesus... If we've received him as our Lord and our Saviour in life, his judgment on us will be this. Saved, washed clean, forgiven, welcomed into heaven forever as a child of God where evil and evildoers will touch us no more. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Is it your picture? If we reject Jesus, however, we'll be like the thorns cut off, cast aside, and burned, shut out of heaven forever. Dear friends, as we recognize Jesus in this psalm, we're faced with a question. Will I accept Jesus as the one through whom God speaks to me, rules over me, 
saves me and judges me? Will I trust him as the light of my life? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, thank you for the amazing way you worked in David's life to bring about your wonderful purposes and to pave the way for a new and better king, our Lord Jesus. By your grace, please help us to welcome him as our ruler and rescuer, now and for eternity. Amen.